Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the word of God that it would encourage us and comfort us. Help us to understand the intercession of the Holy Spirit. We pray that it would work in our lives, Lord, that it would cause us to have a deep confidence in our God. Separate anything that I say, Lord, that is not right, that your people would be able to discern truth from error. Give them discerning minds, biblical minds, Lord, that they can look into the word of God and see your truths there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about a spiritual blessing that you probably have not even thought of, or if you have, you've thought of it very little. You may have never even thanked God for this blessing, but it's the blessing of the intercession of the Holy Spirit on your behalf. I believe that's the central idea of this text because it comes up in verse 26 and verse 27. Notice the end of verse 26. It says, The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27 says, He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In verse 26 and 27, the emphasis is that the Holy Spirit is interceding for the church. He's interceding for the saints. And I know this is a controversial passage. Um, I'll let you know when we get into certain parts of it where people disagree. Um, I'm going to tread lightly because I'll give you what I believe is the truth, but I'm going to tread lightly because I could be wrong. And there's a good case can be made for more than one interpretation of this passage. So I'll try to be fair and show you the various ways people look at it, but I'll also tell you why I agree or disagree um, and what Scripture informs me on that. So we're going to take a real simple approach as we work our way through these two verses. We have four questions we want to ask and answer. Number one, why does the Spirit intercede? Number two, how does the Spirit intercede? Three, who does the, inter who does the Spirit intercede for? And number four, what does the Spirit intercede for? I believe those four questions are answered in this text. So why does the Holy Spirit intercede? Now, notice how the passage begins. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way, let's not just gloss over that. Why does he put that little phrase to begin verse 26? In the same way, in the same way as what, Paul? What are you talking about? Well, there are three good options here, and I'm going to give you all three of them. <laughs> And you can decide which one you think is best. One view is that he says in the same way because he's saying, not only does hope give us help to persevere in the Christian life, which he's just been talking about in verse 24 and 25, our hope is the redemption of our body, the full adoption as sons. And that 
future hope where we're going to be redeemed from the futility of this sin-cursed world and the futility of living in unredeemed bodies. When our bodies are fully glorified and redeemed, that's our hope. And that hope helps us to wait patiently for this full redemption of our body. It, it gives us hope to keep on going and to persevere through suffering and pain. So Paul could be saying, not only does hope give us help in the Christian life, but the Spirit also gives us help in the Christian life. He helps our weakness when it comes to prayer. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, verses 18 to 23 talk about, excuse me, 18 to 22 talk about creation groaning. The creation was subjected to futility, not because of its will, but because of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God and their sin. And when they sinned, God brought a curse upon the world. And the animal and the plant kingdoms now are affected. Animals and plants get sick and they die. We also find within God's creation acts of uh, nature like tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes. Um, and these kinds of things come into the world. The world that we see now is not as God originally intended for it to be. There's a curse on it. And so the creation's groaning until that curse is lifted. That's the point of verses 18 to 22. It's waiting eagerly for the, the revelation of the sons of God. But then verse 23 to 25, the Christian also groans. Not only does creation groan, the Christian does. Because he's living, he has, he's a redeemed person in an unredeemed body, waiting for the full redemption of his body. And so he sins in this body, and he suffers in this body, and that causes him to groan. So Paul could be saying this, just as creation is groaning, and just as the Christian is groaning, in the same way the Holy Spirit is groaning as he intercedes for God's people. Okay, so that's the second option. There is one more. And the one more is Romans chapter 8 is the spirit chapter. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. This is the chapter that focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And Paul has already been telling us how the Holy Spirit helps us in many different ways. Like in verse 4, he says that the requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the Spirit helps us fulfill God's law. In verse 13, he says, But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit helps us to put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 16, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Spirit gives us assurance of our salvation. The Spirit helps us fulfill the law. He helps us kill sin in our life. He helps us to have assurance that we're really God's children. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness in prayer. Do you see his point? Now, it probably doesn't matter too much one, which one of those three options you choose. They're all good options. I lean probably, of all of them, probably to the last one. That he's talking about, just as in this way the Spirit works, and in this way the Spirit works, and in this way the Spirit works. In the same way, he also helps our weakness in prayer. Now, he goes on to say, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. Remember, our question is, why does the Spirit intercede? Answer? Because of our weakness. We're weak. 
How are we weak? He tells us we're weak because we do not how to pray as we should. It's not, there's many kinds of weaknesses in prayer, but the specific weakness that Paul has in mind is that we do not know how to pray as we should. But even that, that's the New American Standard translation. I I don't believe that really hits home specifically. If you look at a Greek interlinear translation, it says something like this. For we do not know the things we should pray for. Now that's different than we don't know how to pray as we should. We might think, oh, dude, how are we supposed to pray? Standing or sitting? Loud or quiet? You know, the manner of our prayer. That's not Paul's thought here. He's not talking about the manner of your prayer. He's talking about, we don't know what we ought to be praying for. And we know that's what he's thinking because of verse 27. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Why? Because in many respects, we don't know the will of God. So we don't know what we ought to be praying for in specific situations. Remember the context. Verses 18 to 25 are talking about us living in this sin-cursed world where we are dealing with sin in our life and suffering in our life. And as we face sin and suffering, there's all kinds of decisions we have to make. And so we, need, we pray about them. Like maybe we're facing persecution and we, we don't know, should, should I pray that the Lord would deliver me from the persecution or that he'd give me the grace to go through the persecution? I'm facing suffering. I've got this illness in my life that's not going away. Should I pray for God to heal me again or should I be content and accept this and just pray for God to give me grace to face the suffering? There's all kinds of areas of our life where we just don't know what we ought to be praying for. And I believe that's what Paul has in mind here. We don't always know the will of God. Now, he says in verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There are certain areas that we do know the will of God. And I'm going to use two expressions here, the revealed will of God and the secret will of God. We do know the revealed will of God because it's given to us in this book. God has told us his revealed will. It's God's will that we are sanctified. It's God's will that we rejoice in all things. It's God's will that we give thanks in every circumstance. It's God's will that we love the brethren, that we love the lost, that we have boldness and witnessing to lost people. All of those things are the will of God. We know that because God tells us. But his secret will is what God is sovereignly doing in our life and the life of everyone on this planet that we, we can't know because he hasn't told us what that is. And that includes sickness, suffering, pain, persecution, All of the areas that Paul has been discussing in this last paragraph, his secret will, he has a particular will that he's going to bring to pass, his sovereign will in this world, but we don't know what it is, and so we don't know how to pray. For example, a sister in the Lord meets somebody that she's very attracted to. Let's call him Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. And she falls for him. She's smitten. She's attracted to this guy. And she starts praying, Lord, please give me this guy to be my husband. I know he's the right one, Lord. Please let me marry him. Uh, What she doesn't know is that his profession of faith 
is about that deep and that it's all a shell, it's all a facade, and that if she ends up marrying this man, she's going to be sorry because there is no true biblical convictions in his life. There's no deep-rooted devotion to Christ. Uh, down the road, their marriage is going to fail. It's going to end in divorce. Her family is going to be split up. The kids are going to go here and there, and her life will be misery. She doesn't know any of that. She doesn't know the secret will of God. She doesn't know what will happen if she goes ahead and marries this guy. So she prays that God would let her marry this man. The Holy Spirit's praying, Lord, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let me tell you what she really means. <laughs> Lord, what she really is saying to you is that she wants a godly man who's going to love her and a godly father for her kids and someone who's going to lead her in the ways of, of Christ. And so the Spirit inter interprets <laughs> her prayer and gives it back to God. Or another example, a brother prays that God would give him a promotion. His company's offering this great promotion. It comes with a huge pay raise, great perks, and he's praying, Lord, please make it be me. Maybe make it be me to be the one that gets this promotion. But what he doesn't know is that if he gets this promotion, he's going to end up traveling most of the time. He's going to be away from his family. He's going to be staying in hotels. He's going to be subjected to temptations that he never otherwise would have. And he's going to suffer a great fall in his walk with God because of the tremendous temptations upon his life personally. He doesn't know any of that. So the Holy Spirit has to say, Lord, this is what he really means. He wants a job where he can grow in his, in, in his relationship to Christ. He wants a job where he can take care of his family and where he can be content. Lord, that's what he really means right now. Because that, that's the will of God for him. Another example, a believer is dying from brain cancer. And he prays fervently that God would heal him. And he prays and he prays. He doesn't want to die. He's young. He's in his early 30s. He's got brain cancer. But what he doesn't know is that this is God's will. It's God's time to take him home. And what God is going to do is use his godly testimony to reach people. At the funeral service, the minister is going to stand up and he's going to read from this man's uh, spiritual journal. And he's going to share with the people assembled there what this man truly believed about Jesus Christ. And then he's going to preach the gospel. And there's going to be many within that group of people that are going to come to know Jesus Christ, including his own parents who have been away from the Lord for many, many years. This is all part of God's secret will. So he's praying fervently, God, heal me. And the Holy Spirit says, no, this is what he really means, Lord. He really means, yes, take me home if it's my time to go and do your work by bringing salvation to all these other people. I read a commentary by William Hendrickson this week on Romans, and he brings up uh, an example from his own life. He said, a beloved pastor was very sick. His congregation prayed fervently for his healing, but he grew worse and he died. And then at his funeral, the minister said, you might feel like God doesn't answer prayer. But in this case, there were two prayers being offered. The congregation's prayer was for the pastor to be healed because they needed him so badly. But the Holy Spirit's prayer was taken because the congregation is leaning too heavily on him and not on you. Do you, do you see that the Holy Spirit overrules our erroneous prayers and prays, he intercedes for us according to the will of God.
We don't talk about this very much, but it's right here in our Bible. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And as we go through trials and sufferings in life, we get confused. I mean, I do, and I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know everything, right? <laughs> I get confused all the time about, Lord, what should I be praying in this situation? I'm so thankful that I don't have to be, I don't have to have all knowledge about what the will of God is. That the Spirit of God who dwells within me is going to intercede for me according to God's will. The purpose of prayer is not to get our will done on earth. It's to get God's will done in heaven. Just recently, somebody called me up on the phone and said he wanted me to pray for him. He was miserable. He was in a miserable situation. He didn't want to be in that situation anymore. And I started to pray saying, Lord, you might want him to stay in that situation. And you might want to show your grace and your power in the midst of that situation. And he interrupts my prayer and he says, no, 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 no. Don't pray like that. Don't pray that. I don't want to be in that situation. But what I realized is he was really saying, I want my will done, Lord, and no other way. And this is what you have to do. And that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with God's will. So that's the answer to the first question. Why does the Spirit intercede? It's because of our weaknesses. And we're ignorant so many times of what we should be praying for. We just don't know. So thank God the Spirit does know, and He does intercede for us. Okay, the second question is, how does the Spirit intercede? It says here, the second part of verse 26 but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. First of all, it says, the Spirit Himself. The Spirit who? Himself. It doesn't say the Spirit itself. The Spirit Himself. What does that tell you? The Spirit is a person. He's not just an impersonal force or power, as the Jehovah's Witnesses will like to teach us. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a he. In fact, in verse 27, notice it says, because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints. He. So the Spirit is not just a force or an energy or a power alone. The Spirit is the third person of the blessed eternal trinity. He's God of very God and he's the person. Notice it says the Spirit intercedes. When's the last time you saw electricity interceding for someone? Electricity can't intercede. Electricity is just an impersonal power. Only a person can intercede for another person, right? The Bible says that we do th certain things to the Holy Spirit which can only be done to a person. The Bible says that sometimes we grieve the Spirit. Jesus talked about people blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews talks about insulting the Spirit. You can't insult a power, but you can insult a person, right? Same with blasphemy, same with grieving. So these are personal attributes that the Bible ascribes to the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but the Bible says that the Spirit does certain things that only a person can do. The Bible says the Spirit teaches 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comforts, Acts 9.31. The Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us right here in 
Romans 8.26, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit testifies, Romans 8.16. Now, only people do things like teach, comfort, help, and testify. So the Holy Spirit is a person. I don't want you to get sucked into the error when someone comes knocking on your door and they tell you that the Holy Spirit is not a person. In fact, there is no such thing as a trinity, that there's one God and the Spirit's just his power and Jesus is just an angel that he created. That's, that's not true. I tell you that because I want you to love the Spirit. I want you to have a relationship with the Spirit of God. I want you to walk and step with the Spirit. Now, it tells us here that the Spirit intercedes for us. We need to understand what it means to intercede. Because that's the main point of this whole section. He intercedes for us. Well, the word intercede means to bring a petition on behalf of someone else or to plead for someone. So intercessory prayer is not you praying that the Lord would provide your financial need. It's praying that God would provide somebody else's financial need or it's praying for somebody else's salvation. It's not you praying for yourself. It's pleading on behalf of somebody else to God. The Holy Spirit, according to this passage, intercedes, means he's pleading on somebody else's behalf, not his own, to the Father. Now, who is he interceding for? He intercedes for us. The word I want you to focus on is the word for, F-O-R. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit intercedes by us or with us, or even in us, or through us, both times it says he intercedes for us. Now that's completely different. To intercede for someone means I'm doing something by myself. They're not even involved, the person that I'm interceding for. I'm doing it on their behalf. And I told you that this is a controversial <clears throat> passage. The controversy comes over as to who's doing the praying here. Who's doing the interceding in verse 26 and 27? There are those who say that the Holy Spirit who dwells in the Christian is inspiring them and moving them to pray. And they say it's they're the ones that have these groanings that are too deep for words. It's actually the groanings of the Christian. And the Christian is praying. And there's a, there's a case that they can make for that. But I just want to take this verse as, it's, as it says. And if we just read it for what it says. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So who, who's doing the groaning that's too deep for words? The Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit does it with groanings too deep for words. So my answer is that this is the Holy Spirit interceding on behalf of people and the groanings here are not the groanings of the Christian. We've already covered that in verse 23. I don't think Paul's backtracking and going back to something he's already discussed. I think he's talking about the groaning of the Holy Spirit in this passage. 
if I just take this at its plain natural meaning, I, that's what I would come up with. With groanings too deep for words. Let's discuss that. Again, I usually love the New American Standard Version, but again, here, it's not entirely clear from the original. that Their, their translation is not entirely clear. Groaning's too deep for words. Well, what does that mean? Literally, if you look at a Greek interlinear, it's groanings with unspoken words. The New, New International Version translates it. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And that really gets close to the original intent of the Greek here. Wordless groans. Or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. With unspoken groaning. In other words, no words are uttered, just groans. That's all. Indistinguishable. You can't understand them. They're just groans, but no words are coming forth. And that's exactly the same way when the Christian groans. Back in verse 23, it says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We don't groan outwardly. I believe he's talking about an inward groaning when you're feeling pain or grief or suffering. There's this groaning inside of you because you're waiting for the redemption of your body. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit groans, but not outwardly. It's an inward groaning. It's wordless. So I believe it's the Holy Spirit doing this groaning. Now, why would the Holy Spirit groan? He has no sin of his own to groan over, right? He doesn't suffer himself. So why would the Holy Spirit groan? I think it's because he dwells in you and he has such empathy for you as he dwells within you that he feels the pain that you feel. He knows this, the grief that you're going through as you confess sin to God. He knows the suffering in your body. He, he dwells within you, knows you intimately. Remember Jesus said, when he confronted Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But wait a minute. I wasn't persecuting you, Lord. I was persecuting your church. But when they persecuted the church, they were actually persecuting Jesus because Jesus was so tied together with his church. And the Spirit is so united and tied together with his people that he feels the pain of his people as they go through the sin-cursed world. And he groans on their behalf, not his own behalf, on their behalf. Now, a lot of people, when we get to these verses, believe that verse 26 is actually talking about the gift of tongues, and that what they're talking about here is praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. If you go to a charismatic or Pentecostal church, that's common, that verse 26 is referring to the gift of tongues. Is that true? Well, I would say, no, it cannot be true, because someone who speaks in tongues is uttering words. The tongues is a language. It's not gibberish. It, you're talking in a language of some sort. And if, if you're talking in language, you're using words to express that language. But this says these are wordless groans. There are no words are being uttered. So I would say, no, it cannot be talking about praying in the Spirit. Also, Romans 8.26 is talking about the groaning and intercession of the Holy Spirit, not the praying in tongues of believers. So, no, I don't, do not think at all that this has to do with the gift of tongues. 
Now let's move on to our third question. Who does the Spirit intercede for? Well, we're given two hints. The first hint is in verse 26. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. Now, admittedly, the word us is in italics in my Bible. And you know what that means, right? The translator supplied that word. It wasn't in the original. So is there anything explicit in this text that would tell us exactly who he's praying for? Look at 27. Because he intercedes for the who? The saints. The saints. That's who the Holy Spirit intercedes for. He doesn't intercede for the lost or the world, the unsaved, but he does intercede for saints. And he intercedes for the exact same group of people that Jesus intercedes for. Do you remember in John 17, we have this example of Jesus' high priestly prayer as he intercedes for his people. He's about to go back to the Father. Well, there's a really interesting verse there in John 17, 9, where he tells us who his recipients of his intercession are. He says in John 17, 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I'm not asking on behalf of the world. I'm asking on behalf of the ones you've given me. God's people, his sheep, not the goats, the church, not the lost. This is the bride of Christ that Jesus prays for. From the right hand of God, he intercedes. But in the same way, the Holy Spirit is interceding for that same group of people. These are the saints that he prays for. But what's a saint? I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. How many people grew up in the Catholic Church? A fair amount of us. I always got the impression growing up that a saint was somebody that was super holy. Really a special person, like a, a super saint, <laughs> a super Christian. Someone who lived such a devoted and committed life to Christ that after they died and went to heaven, you kind of look up to them as special people. And in fact, you can even pray to them. You don't just pray to, to Jesus and God. You pray to these saints, too, and you pray to Mary. There's, they're, they're so much more closer to God than you can't even believe how close they are. And you're so far away. So they're saints and you're not. But the problem with that is the Bible does not teach that at all. The Bible teaches, well, let's look at a couple of verses. Like in the same book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes to all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. Who are they? All who are beloved of God in Rome. All the Christians in Rome are saints. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just read another one. Verse 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So a saint is someone who's beloved of God, someone who's been sanctified in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's a born-again Christian. So if you have been born again by the Spirit, you're a saint, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. So we've got a bunch of saints here this morning. Saint Eduardo, and Saint Fernando, and Saint Debbie, and Saint Esmeralda, and Saint Paula, and Saint Myong, and you can fill in your name. You're a saint if you love Jesus Christ. And that's who he intercedes for. But let's look at the last question here. What does the Spirit intercede for? Well, I've already told you the answer, but let's go ahead and 
Look at verse 27. It says, and he who searches the hearts, let's stop there. He who searches the hearts. The he here has to be God the Father. God the Father is searching the hearts and the Holy Spirit then intercedes for the saints as the Father searches the hearts. Um, maybe it'd be clearer if we look at some, some other passages that throw light on this searching of the heart. For example, in 1 Chronicles 28, we have the prayer of David for his son Solomon. And uh, in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, this is his prayer. He says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So the Lord searches the hearts and he knows and understands every intention of our thoughts. God is searching the hearts of all people and he knows their heart. Or we could look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. Here Jesus says, I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. So the God the Father searches the hearts in the Old Testament. Jesus himself says that he searches the hearts here in the New Testament, Revelation 2.23. But, but why? Why is God searching the hearts? And why does Paul tell us that God is the one who searches the hearts in here in verse 27? Because it's related to the intercession of the Holy Spirit. This is my answer. This is what I've concluded. Sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes we pray for the wrong thing. And we're praying for the wrong thing, and God looks down and He knows our heart. <clears throat> he searches our hearts and He knows that even though our prayers are wrong, our heart is for Him, that we love Him, that He is our, our Lord, our God, our treasure, that we want to do His will, that we want to glorify Him. So He hears the prayer, but He sees the heart, and then he also knows the mind of the Spirit as the Spirit intercedes the correct way according to his will, and he answers the Spirit's prayer, not our erroneous prayer. He searches our hearts, knows that our heart loves him, overrules our stupid prayer that we're praying, and listens to the Spirit and answers the right prayer. That's what I think he's saying. <laughs> now again, I could be wrong in my understanding of that, but that's what I've come to conclude he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is of course God the father knows what the mind of the spirit is because the spirit is God God the father knows the mind of God the spirit in fact we're even told in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 and 11 it says for to us God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things even the depths of God for he for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God so the spirit knows the thoughts of God God knows the thoughts of the spirit perfectly because they are so completely one that it's like knowing your own thoughts for God to know the Spirit's thoughts. And this is another reason 
that I think this is about the Spirit's intercession, not ours, because it says God knows the mind of the Spirit. If this was talking about our intercession, I think he would have said God knows the mind of the believer. But it doesn't say that. It says he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is the one interceding for the saints according to his will. And then he goes on to say, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to use words in his intercession. He doesn't need to because his groanings are perfectly adequate because the Father knows exactly what the mind of the Spirit is as he groans. No words are necessary. He, he knows what the Spirit is interceding for. So what is, the inter, what is the Holy Spirit interceding for? The will of God in your life. That God's will will be done in your life, in the Christian's life, not the lost person, the Christian. We go to God to pray, and we don't know what to say. We're baffled, we're confused. And it's right at that point that the Holy Spirit steps in and He starts interceding for us. And the beautiful thing is that He always knows what the will of God is when we don't. Isn't that great? Yeah. We're confused. I don't know what to pray about the situation. Well, it's all right. I don't have to because there's somebody who does know and he lives within me and he loves me and he's interceding for me. Isn't this beautiful? I mean, we never think about this, but it's, it's right here in our Bibles and we ought to be thankful for this blessing. We ought to praise God that this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. So we might pray for wealth, or a beautiful wife, or a soft and easy life, and the Holy Spirit steps in, and he says, Father, what he really needs is hard work that will develop character in his life. What he really needs is a godly wife that will encourage and pray for him. What he really needs is trials that will cause him to trust you. See, we, we like to pray for prosperity, and traveling mercies, and everyone's safe, and everyone's protected, and all these things, right? That's what we pray for each other about. But that's not what happens in our life. We go through difficulties and pain and suffering. And it's probably because the Holy Spirit knows that what we truly need is not just a perfect, easy, pillowy life. We need hardships. And so the Spirit prays according to the will of God. And the things that come into our life are ordained by God. They're in answer to the Spirit's prayers. And so we can, we can trust God that even though this is hard, this is right. In fact, we're going to get into this in a lot of detail in verses 28 and 29. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why do we know that God causes all things to work together for our good? Because of verse 26 and 27. Because the Holy Spirit is interceding according to God's will for us. So the things that come into our life are good. Not in the sense that they feel good. But in the sense that they, in verse 29, conform us to the image of his son, which is the ultimate good for any Christian. So let's draw this down to a conclusion and some application. How should we apply the truths of Romans 8, 26 and 27? Number one, be encouraged that God doesn't expect you to always know his will in every situation. It's okay if you don't. He tells you that you don't. God knows that you don't. And he doesn't condemn you that you don't know his will. It's, it's perfectly okay. Just be content that you have a father who does know. Number two, be encouraged that what the Spirit prays for you will come to pass. Now, when Jesus prayed, 
He said, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. Right? John 11. God always heard the prayers of Jesus and God answered the prayers of Jesus because they were always according to God's will. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is always praying according to the will of God, then those prayers are going to be answered by God. So you have an intercessor whose prayers are always heard and who will always be answered. And thirdly, be encouraged that you have two intercessors, not just one. You have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, according to this text. Jesus Christ intercedes for you in heaven. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you on earth. Christ's intercession is outside of us. The Holy Spirit's intercession is within our hearts. We have an advocate with the Father in heaven. We have another advocate within our hearts now on earth. So if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are continually praying for me according to God's will, that's why we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Doesn't mean you're going to have a pain-free life, but it means you will have a life that God is directing. God knows what is best for his children. We, can, we think only in terms of time and sense and how this feels. God has got an eternal picture for you. God sees you in heaven in eternity. Jesus talks in one of his parables about how we will glow like the sun. The, shy, the, the brightness of the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Glorious beings. Glorified beings. God sees us in that perspective and all of the stuff that he's doing now is he's leading us and preparing us and getting ready for eternal glory. And part of the way he gets us ready is through suffering and grief and pain. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. So no wonder Romans 8.28 comes next. It makes perfect sense to me as I read this in its context. So you can rest assured knowing that God is going to bring his will to pass in your life. If you're a Christian, God is working in every detail of your life. So I guess what I'm saying is rest, have confidence, be encouraged. Okay, I may go through painful things. And yes, I have gone through very painful things, but God ordered those things. He knew there was a good purpose in those things. And you are too. You're going through things right now. But God, God is up to something good. And it's far better than the little tiny thing that we put our finger on. Like, yeah, I want to get rid of this headache for the day. <laughs> you know, we have little things that we think about. God has got glorious, big, wonderful things in store for those who love him. So be encouraged in God today. The Spirit intercedes for you according to His will. Lord, thank you so much. We want to publicly, Lord, thank you for the blessing that your Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Lord, I think I probably have never even thanked you for that in my whole life. Lord, we are grateful that we have an intercessor that dwells within us and reinterprets our, our faulty prayers and makes them according to your will. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.